Hi, welcome to Neuroverse, a podcast hosted by Clara and Carolina, where we discuss all matters from neuroscience to philosophy and beyond. Today's episode is on reductionism in art and brain science, <laughs> the name of a book written by one of our favorite neuroscientists and world-renowned too, Eric Kandel. Yeah, we're totally not um, copywriting his book. We just want to discuss it because yes. it's amazing. <laughs> it's so incredible. So, the merge between brain science and art is really inspiring. Yeah, so in summary, Eric Handel, he studies mainly the neural mechanisms underlying memory, actually, uh, which he got the Nobel Prize for. And he is known for not only his great scientific work, but also his passion for art. And being a New Yorker, um, mm -hmm. he wrote this book exploring reductionism in art, mainly focusing on the New York School of Modern Art and how we perceive, how we visually perceive uh, reductionist art. Yes. So the book focuses a lot on top-down versus bottom-up processing in the brain. Yeah. Let's start by explaining a little bit what that means. Yes. So bottom-up processes are processes involving perceiving the external environment. Like sensory perception. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at a work of art, the visual stimuli, the colors, the shape of the square of the canvas, you know, the light reflects and bounces into your eye, through the retina, up the thalamus and into the visual cortex. And, and that's bottom up. So the external stimuli goes into your brain. Now, top-down can be harder to define, so it's thought of as being a process where memory recall or contextual cues and previous social expectations or just expectations in general of the stimuli that you're perceiving helps fill in the, gap, the gaps. So if you're looking at a work of art and you're not really sure what you're looking at, um, your brain can fill in the gaps and kind of guess what you're looking at and that's the top down. One of the examples that Eric Handel uses in his books are things such as illusions where you look at a work of art and it looks very abstract and then you see like the original work of art and it's like a little section of the original painting and then you can never unsee the original piece. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also just the phenomenon that we're probably all familiar with of seeing patterns in, mm. in everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's psychologically known as pareidolia. And it's when, you know, you see like a, a blank wall and you see some uh, bits of black on it and you're like, oh, it's a tree. <laughs> yeah. Or like if you look at the clouds and you're like, exactly. Oh. I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'm like cloud watching. Yes. <laughs> I see a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> So in visual perception, bottom-up and top-down processes are really important because of something that uh, Kandel describes known as the inverse optics problem. Mm -hmm. So it's just the fact that um, the way that we perceive visual information, so it's through light shining on the retina, and this creates a 2D image onto the retina, and so it can't actually describe all three dimensions of an object. So we need additional mechanisms essentially to uh, reconstruct objects in our visual mind. And 
this is, you know, done all the time through visual perception. Of course, you then have like the second layer of top down processes, which is more what you described of like emotion or Mm -hmm. previous experiences and memories and social constructs or whatever being imprinted onto this image. So Mm -hmm. visual perception really is really interesting to explore just because it is this concoction of bottom up raw perception as well as all of this going on in our brains Mm. to create just this simple image that is constantly changing in time as well yeah yeah it's so fascinating yeah there are all of these mechanisms and i like the way you put it the the raw visual inputs versus our (laughs) own you know emotional and memory and whatever cocktail of preconceived stuff imprinting like you said Mm -hmm. onto the onto the work of art for example yeah and so this is especially interesting in abstract art where or reductionist art where the viewer is given basically a piece of the puzzle so the point um in terms of how the brain perceives abstract art is that the viewer is allowed to fill in the gaps to create their to allow their top-down processes to create something out of the piece to participate in it and to in a way through this process learn about their state of mind at that time and you know like what comes to mind when you see a black square with four dots in the right corner that are orange you know you might think of a box of tic tacs and then you might recall your memory yeah they really allow you to project your own experiences onto it and Mm -hmm. Um, Eric Kandel quotes Turner where yeah. the legend is that a woman was looking at a sunset painted by a Turner and she said <laughs> yeah. I never saw a sunset like that Mr. Turner to which he replied don't you wish you could madam mm-hmm. and I think that is so beautiful yeah it's it this... really shows how like in a way our imagination is greater than reality exactly I was just gonna say imagination through creativity yeah and i i also think this plays a little bit into an aspect of like the unknown and like yeah like what is real and what versus what is imagined and fernand pessoa who is one of my favorite portuguese poets he also talks a lot about that and how the the dreamt and the imagined world is so much sweeter than than the reality and the fact that impressionist art and abstract art really allows us to do that um i've never perceived it in that way before unshackled from like the constraints of reality and 2d imagery and like accurate like life still still life type of paintings yeah Yeah. um oh this reminded me of something it's kind of paradoxical because Mm -hmm. what you're describing is like yeah how sweet imagine imagined realities can be and a sort of escapism from reality Mm -hmm. but at the same time um an abstract approach like I mentioned before, it can sort of reveal to us something more about ourselves, right? And our mental state. And also something Kandel mentions a lot is what artists themselves describe as um, their art helping you, helping to bring you closer to the truth. Mm -hmm. So for example, there's a quote from the famous artist Piet Mondrian. Mm -hmm. And he said, nature inspires me puts me in an emotional state so that an urge comes about to make something but I want to come as close as possible to the truth and abstract everything from that until I reach 
the foundation. Mm. And it's really interesting. Well, firstly, I just resonated with this so much. I'm so inspired by nature Mm -hmm. and it makes me want to come close to the truth as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. But also to relate this to reductionism, it's almost paradoxical. So what he's saying is that his goal is to then extract like the essence from Mm -hmm. that. And by extracting and communicating the essence of an image, then you can also enable others to see more of that thing. It's so interesting how he talks about this like almost reductionist approach. And Eric Kandel, he likes to play around with this idea of reductionist art as well as reductionist neuroscience and compare the two. Um, And Rothko is a really interesting example of an artist who who Eric Kandel says does this. So Rothko started off doing pretty non-abstract type of paintings such as the couple kissing and then he slowly progresses into more abstract and like reductionist type of art um, ultimately simplifying the colors and simplifying um, the the lines and everything until he reaches a painting for example number seven in 1964 where it's basically the absence of color so it's a pretty dark painting and it contains a few streaks of like lighter shades um it's kind of like black a black square on a black square yeah exactly (laughs) and so the way that eric uh kandel compares this to neuroscience so this painting is essentially the absence of light and with the reductionist approach, um, you look at biology or, or any biological topic you want to study and you start off from zero and then you build up on it with the knowledge that you have, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so as in the process of perceiving a painting such as this would be starting with nothing and building up in a way your imagination or top-down processes from that absence of color or visual stimulation um yeah potentially yeah in terms of the visual process but i just wanted to focus more on the on the bio like reductionism in biology so reductionism as a scientific approach uh, is based on the belief that complicated phenomena can be derived from and described by basic phenomena And so then this leads to what we call a bottom-up approach, which is Mm -hmm. totally unrelated from bottom-up processes. (laughs) Yeah, Um, A bottom-up approach just means understanding very basic mechanisms or simple mechanisms, such as how a neuron fires in response to stimulus, in order to understand the whole system, like, Mm -hmm. you know, how the brain perceives art. Yeah, it's essentially a, a methodology. Yes, exactly. It's a methodological approach. And so what you're saying about um, the absence of information Mm. uh, ultimately resulting in a accumulation of information on top of this um, in the perception of reductionist art. And then when we compare this to a a bottom-up scientific reductionist approach, Mm. methodological approach of building up a basic mechanism into a higher level process um i thought a really interesting question to explore is like 
can this actually be done? Is this valid? Is this a valid approach? You know, like, yeah. can the system be explained by its basic parts? Mm-hmm. And something I came across linked to evolution, of course, yeah. <laughs> was um, that evolution, it doesn't just um, evolve processes or properties and then, you know, get rid of the ones that don't work. It just, it evolves in a way that um, things are embroidered upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so it's more, basically it's more complicated than just like, yes or no, mm-hmm. and then the better option gets yes and the worse option gets no. Mm-hmm. It's just like constant evolution of multiple different aspects that eventually improves the system. And so this means that understanding the basic parts of the system, it will give you information about the system itself, but it won't tell you the whole story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, a popular quote when talking about this type of thing is, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts by Aristotle. Yeah. It's also like, see the forest for its trees. That's nice. Have you yeah. heard of that? No, I yeah. haven't. So this is in favor of emergence, not reductionism. Exactly, mm. which is something that I talked about a bit in our episode on materialism versus dualism. Yeah. Because I, I like the emergentist view. Me too, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. But it's ironic you say that because you agree with, don't you agree with a more reductionist view when tackling biological problems? I would say I believe that the bottom-up approach is probably as valuable as the top-down approach. So Again, methodology. <laughs> methodology, not process. It's very confusing. They should come up with different names. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I prefer studying things from a bottom-up approach mm. just because I feel like it's more difficult to assume basic principles from a higher mm, okay. um, le- higher level. Yeah. But if you understand a mechanism, even if it may not be the whole story, it is still a mechanism. It yeah. is still a player in the bigger picture. Yeah. And it's still a tree in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> which you should see the forest for the trees yeah (laughs) so study the trees and you'll see the forest eventually Mm -hmm. it might take millions of years yeah and a lot of collaboration but Mm -hmm. (laughs) essentially science (laughs) yeah I I I see your point and I I think both approaches approaches are valid um I just take a lot of inspiration from Francis Arnold I I mentioned uh Francis Arnold in our enzyme directed evolution episode where I describe how she won the Nobel Prize for discovering carbon binding to non-organic bonds, which is mind-blowing. But so essentially, I take inspiration from her in that instead of doing what um, other enzyme evolutionary scientists do (laughs) and start off from scratch and de novo models of literally constructing new enzymes based on our knowledge of enzymes, what she does is she takes whatever already exists in nature and then refines it. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it's slightly different approaching biology versus approaching neuroscience. So I'm coming from a slightly more biological perspective. Um, But I think... Which is is a bit ironic because in neuroscience, a lot of... Uh, top-down methodology 
involves starting from psychology, mm. like starting from behavior and, yeah, I mean, it's essentially starting from behavior and then going down, 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 down. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's how most, uh, you know, research projects start off. You start off with a high level question such as how mm. do we encode memories um, and then cut down and go more and more detailed until you reach the molecular level so on the day-to-day we study it from a reductionist point of view in that you start off we look at the detail and from the detail we can build a bigger picture actually maybe that's more like emergence well this is why i'm a big supporter of studying dynamics Mm -hmm. and mechanisms rather than just like properties of say neurons to understand memory because when you say properties what do you mean so rather than just like looking at the shape of the neuron or how many neurons are active you need to like understand how they communicate with each Mm. other and how they how they are part of the system like by understanding how they're part of the system then you understand the system yeah like by understanding say i know everything about you Mm -hmm. um (laughs) i know what you look like (laughs) I, even if I know your thoughts, like maybe I still won't really understand h- human beings. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely won't. But <laughs> you will just understand this one person. Exactly. Yeah. But like if I understand your relation with your family, your relation with your country, then we start to actually be able to understand human behavior and mm. humans. Yeah. I find it very interesting you say that because <laughs> isn't looking at the properties of neurons essentially... Um, you know, the whole structure-function relationship and dilemma. So didn't yes. we conclude that? <laughs> no, exactly. That's why we talked about how it's a triangle of structure, function, and dynamics. I think we added the dynamics, but yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we serendipitously added it while yeah. discussing it, but I now am a firm believer of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. But do you not think that the properties, i.e. the structure, can lead to the function, which lead to the dynamics? Yeah. I mean, like, your family wouldn't be your family (laughs) without you. Like, there would not be a dynamic between you and me if you or me did not exist. I guess, yeah. You think you'd still be having this conversation? (laughs) If I was a worm? If I wasn't here? (laughs) Why wouldn't you be my friend if I was a worm, Lauren? I just wanted to finish off by reapplying this concept of a reductionist approach in neuroscience to reductionist art, so Mm -hmm. going back to abstract art. Um, So we've still not reached a conclusion on whether or not a a bottom-up methodology can inform us, how much it can inform us of a whole system, Mm -hmm. i.e. the brain. Yeah. But I then thought this was really interesting to question, like, can we really know the whole story and the whole truth through a reductionist piece of art if we can't understand the brain through understanding just a piece of it Mm. you know and then this made me reflect on what is the purpose of reductionist art and again I I come back to the idea that it can inform us about ourselves Mm -hmm. and our inner sensations and to be observers of our own perception Mm -hmm. and to to complete patterns and to put pieces of the puzzle together but it might not I don't know might not tell us like the whole truth Mm -hmm. it can give us hints though yeah I love that sentence you said it allows us to be observers of our own perception 
Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> uh, we'll end today's episode. And we hope you enjoyed listening to us attempt to talk about art <laughs> and art history, but of course, neuroscience as well. 